Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I'm your co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And I'm your other co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman. We are finally done with Ten of Swords. Finally! Finally! Now we can go back to talking about the weeklies. Oh my God. We can talk about things without having this like overwhelming sense of urgency. Like, oh my God, if we fall behind one week, no one's going to listen to us ever again. I, you know, looking back on it retrospectively, jumping into this podcast and Ten of Swords at the same time, it was, it was a feat. It was laborious. It was a choice. That's for sure. <laughs> But the, you know what? There was no one else I'd rather do it with than you. Same, same. There's no one else I would rather rant about incoherent X-Men plots with than you. All right. I think we have some news. All right. So a couple weeks back, we got Fantastic Four number 26, another non-mutant book with a, a little bit of mutant news. Um, Fantastic Four has been running a subplot involving Franklin Richards, a.k.a. Powerhouse, slowly losing his powers. Well, now that he's fully lost him, it's revealed in a psychic conversation with Professor X that... <gasps> Franklin was never actually a mutant. <gasps> no, folks. He only used his cosmic powers to alter his cells and give him the appearance of an X gene. Uh, this whole conversation is one big Professor Xavier is a jerk moment. I hated it. What about you, Dayspring? I hated it so much, mostly because I reread the 12 over the summer and I loved it. Franklin and Nate Gray's brotherly relationship. I thought Franklin yeah. fit so perfectly into the mutant community. We also had to pay uh, so much attention to that Fantastic Four versus X-Men mini we got. <laughs> and it's obsolete now. Right, right. It was just wrapped like what, four or five months ago? And it's completely ir irrelevant at this point. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think when I think of Franklin Richards, I think, I mean, he has a history with Rachel, right? Like yeah. I think in some alt universe, he's going to be her husband and they want a future past. Yeah, there we go. And I think of that iconic, like 1987 uh, promo that Marvel released with it's 1987. Do you know what your children are? And it's all these yeah. kids. And then Franklin with the words muty on it. It's iconic. I can't believe they, they did this. Yeah. I mean, and not to mention, you know, basically every not every, but almost every Fantastic Four X-Men interaction that we've had for the last 30, 40 years has been revolved around the fact that, that Franklin is a mutant. You know, we had the FF X-Men uh, mini in the 80s where Reed Richards and Doctor Doom teamed up to, to fix Kitty after the mutant massacre. But a, a whole side plot of that is, you know, Franklin being a mutant. And then that has carried forward to, to the more recent... Um, X-Men Fantastic Four mini. And of course we had Onslaught in there. You know, oh, yeah. it, I love that. I mean, you know, I love Onslaught and I just, I don't understand what, what, what can be gained by not making him. Right. Gain. Right. I, yeah. Then, no, I, I really don't know what they're thinking or where, where they're going to go with this. Why Dan Slott is, is so passionate about, making Franklin not a mutant when it seems like, you know, most of the other Fantastic Four and mutant writers of the last several decades, you know, like to lean into that story whenever we get 
Fantastic Four X-Men team up. So I just don't see the value of this. Maybe it's going to lead to something a little bit later, but Professor X was just a dick. He just... Yeah, he just dropped that news and was like, bye, you're not welcome Peace on for out. Um, yeah. yeah, and and to to that point, just one more point. Like I I didn't like it, but I understood from uh, a company perspective why they had Wanda and Pietro be non mutants or mutants, yeah. whatever they are now. I understood that with the film rights and Disney, at least there was some kind of motivation behind that. I don't see the motivation here. Not no. even from a larger company perspective. This is just pissing off fans. It just I'm not here for it. No, right. Thanks. Well, and, and, and you would think, you know, you mentioned the film rights and everything like that. Now that Disney and Marvel have the film rights to X-Men and Fantastic Four, you would think that they might link their two old but new franchises together as they introduce them into the MCU. And they have just completely disconnected them when they probably need to be connected the most. That's that's exactly, you just took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly how I feel. Like, Unify. Everyone wants to see a shared universe. And Franklin yeah. is a bridge for the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. I yeah. cannot believe they allowed this. But anyways, whatever. It's whatever. It's whatever. We'll see what we'll see what happens. You know, Fantastic Four remains my my second favorite Marvel team at this point. But once you remove that mutant connection, you know, we'll we'll see if that continues. In other news, Hasbro hosted another Fan First Friday this week and gave us the packaged picks of the House of X wave, Woo! as well as announcing the bath. And and before we talk about the bath, let's just go through the figures that we already knew were coming, what they're coming with. Magneto is going to be in his white costume with alternate hands. Professor X is going to have an alternate unmasked head sculpt with psychic effects and alt hands. Wolverine comes with just a smiley alt head. Cyclops uh, will have an alt head with blast effect, a la the vintage wave X-Factor Cyclops. Marvel Girl is going to have alternate hands and a crocoan flower. Moira X was the one that I was like, I can't believe they're doing this. We're getting a traditional Moira uh, head and lab coat. And she comes with books and alternate arms and scarf where you can switch her between Moira X and the Moira we've known for decades. And then we have Omega Sentinel with alternate forearms and a different head sculpt, which has been kind of contentious with fans. I mean, Flink, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, the the head sculpt that they have chosen to give her, uh, of course, we have the the House of X, you know, the the bald red uh, villain head sculpt, which is great to see. But the other one that they chose is a bit of an obscure choice. Uh, it's from the Chris uh, Bachelo Umberto Ramos uh, Mike Carey run, um, and she only it, it was when she was like fully powered up uh, when she was one of the X Men. It was basically how she looked when she was powered up during the Messiah Complex era um and it wasn't a look that we got from her very often um and while there are several examples of her from that era where her hair what was colored brown it really should be black so there's kind of two things they picked the obscure head and they got the hair color wrong so but i want to give a really quick shout out to laura de lorenzo jones who engineers the paint apps for hasbro and we, we saw her in episode six of Marvel's 616 series on Disney+. And I first noticed her at Hascon when she was talking about Arcade. And I think she's just killing it with the paint apps. I yeah. mean, this could have been a very lackluster line, in my opinion. 
And one of the things that really pops out to me is the paint apps and it's all bright. The package, we have Crocoan language on it. Now, in terms of the bath, I know we were, we speculated it could have been Krakoa or the Krakoan gates. I was with you when you said they were putting emphasis in the last stream that you can recreate, you know, House of X won the cover. Yeah, the gates make yeah. the most sense, but we are not- Really thought it was gonna be those gates. We really thought it was gonna be those gates or something Krakoa related. And it is not, it is actually the Tri-Sentinel from Powers of 10. Yeah, and this is the only Powers of 10 character that we're actually getting. And I mean, Omega Sentinel showed up in Powers of 10 as well. Um, in fact, that's where she had her her red bald head. But I'm a little bit disappointed by this guy. I mean, he looks really, really cool. And of course, I'm buying all the figures. And of course, I'm completing him. But, you know, we're getting such a glut of Sentinels. Like we got Nimrod this year. We have the uh, the Pulse Lab Sentinel next year that has Bastion and, and the the Prime Sentinel, we're getting Omega Sentinel, we're getting Master Mold. Um, it's just, it's a lot of Sentinel action all at once. And, and if you're a fan of the Sentinels, which, you know, many people are, I, that's going to be awesome for you. But for me, I think it would have been um, a little bit cooler to get maybe the Krakoan Gate or the Krakoan Head. But I, I'm not one of those people who's going to write off a wave just because the bath isn't 100% to my liking. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, the pain apps on this, again, Laura killed it. And it reminds me a lot of the rover Here Comes Tomorrow Sentinel that we yeah. got from Toy Biz back in the day. It's it's fine. I, I It wasn't a character I really wanted as a bath, but I'll take it. Yeah, totally. And you know what this design, to me, this design has always kind of, kind of um, screamed the Days of Future Past movie Nimrod kind oh. of it has, a, it has a little bit of that to it so it is a cool design yeah, um, no, that's a, I didn't even think about it like that that I, I I'm, I'm gonna second that so and one one thing that I do I, I want to correct myself uh, and correct you which I love to do here the Wolverine <laughs> the Wolverine I said that there was no other uh, reference to powers of 10 in this wave but actually that Wolverine alt head it's not just smiling it has um, a little gray goatee on it so that's the old Wolverine oh that's a really great I mean yeah so wow. it's from like the Moira 10 or Moira 9 timeline I, where they're both I, killed in the future and he's got his little yeah. gray goatee going I am so glad that you just stared at this image all last night <laughs> for every single detail. Yes. No, that is, that's fantastic. I mean, I would have wished for this, if we were going to get the powers of 10 Sentinel, I, I wish we would have gotten like Rasputin or Cardinal, which is what, when we watch your mouth, look, 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 I think it's a great wave. I'm so happy with these figures. I think again, this could have been lackluster, but Man, the packaging, the colors, the sculpts, they're all nailing it. I just thought if they were going to do Powers of 10, we would have gotten like one of the more iconic Powers of yeah. 10 characters that you would associate it with. I mean, they pushed Rasputin and Cardinal in all the marketing copy leading up to uh, this huge event and reboot. Remember the Mark Brooks cover where people were like, or not cover, poster image. They were like, who... What, why is why is Nightcrawler red? What what's going on with Ileana? Is she is she a hybrid of Danny Moonstar now and Colossus? And you know they were all really everyone was speculating. So I'm just I'm shocked we're not getting those kinds of characters. I'm happy we're not, 
but I'm sure we're going to get them. I'm sure they're coming. In other Hasbro news, um, just a couple weeks ago, Dan from the Hasbro Marvel team tweeted an image of the classic Alan Davis Excalibur and implied that Marvel, or more specifically Marvel Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sapolsky, was nudging Hasbro in that direction. So, obviously, I've said it a million times. Are, are, are you ready? Are you ready for me to oh, say wait, it again? Yeah, yeah, wait, 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 wait. What? Go, go, go. What is it? I'm a huge Excalibur fan. Are you? Really? I am. I know. You wait, would wait, never, wait. You'd never know that based on how I talked about Ten of Swords, would you? Well, that's... You like Alan Davis, right? And I think Kitty has Alan Davis hair now again. And you you may be a little excited about it. I might be a little. Oh, you know well, what? Getting the full team in Marvel Legends form would be a fucking dream come true. You know, I hope they knock it them all out in a box set like they did for Alpha Flight last year. That was highly convenient. Oh my um, gosh. That that would be that would be awesome. I agree wholeheartedly with you. I you're coming up with all these like really great ideas and quips this morning. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm, 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 this is the first thing I've done today. So the coffee is fresh in my mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm fresh. Oh, I need to get my coffee. I should probably get some more. So, you know, I would, I'm really hoping that we, we get the Excalibur cast because something that's, I'm not going to say frustrated me um, this last year and upcoming, uh, you know, this year we got the Age of Apocalypse wave. That was our one X-Men wave. Next year, we're getting the House of X wave. Um, hopefully that's not our one X wave. But they're leaving characters like Richter, 90s Domino, Feral, X-Factor Wolfsbane. We're so close to completing the 90s era in Marvel Legends that I'm slightly frustrated that we keep getting these waves that kind of pull focus, these themed waves that pull focus from completing those teams. So I am really 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 hopeful that we can sneak out an Excalibur set sometime in the next year yeah and Excalibur is a huge part of 90s X-Men I they they cannot not be there and Kitty in that shadow cat blue puppy sleeve costume is iconic same with Rachel Rachel deserves better than that than that initial brood was it the brood series figure Marvel girl that we got of her awful I want her I want her in the Phoenix effect, that hound costume. That is how I want Rachel in Marvel Legends form. Yeah, it was the, the Brood Queen wave early in, in the Hasbro tenure. But I will say, she has not aged well, but I love both versions of that figure. I do like the cosmic black, you know, speckled version of her. Um, and do you remember they, there was three of them? They had the normal one. And then yep. her and her black cosmic. And then the third one was a black cosmic with the back on the yeah. packaging, like facing the packaging out. And you know, what's ridiculous. I, I didn't know that there was that third variant that was even more rare with her back forward. And that's, that's the one that I got. And I fucking opened it. Same, same. I did too. Or I got it on eBay for like, I mean, at the time it was a lot. I was like, Ooh, I paid $50 short because I obviously in New York, I couldn't find it. But um, yeah, I opened it and, Man, but anyways, Rachel deserves better. So the last big bit of news that we have for you guys is of course, now that uh, Ten of Swords is over, we are looking ahead to the future and we got a teaser image released for the, after the dawn of X comes the reign of X. And there is a lot happening here. Dayspring, what did you find in this image? Okay, the first thing I noticed was Nightcrawler and he's holding what appears to me a Bible with an X on it. 
And I think he may be starting his own religion because we got a glimpse of him confronting these ideas about what it means to be a mutant and religious when he was talking to Cyclops during the Crucible. And this recent issue of Hellions, the, it opens up with a quote where Nightcrawler says, we must heal ourselves. The peace promise in death is no more. So I think Nightcrawler is going to establish a mutant religion, which I'm all for. I've, I've thought since day one, Nightcrawler, if he's going to be mutant and very religious, that mutants would have a different religion than normal, you know, humans. Nightcrawler's, not, you know, I love Nightcrawler. Everyone loves Nightcrawler, but he's not someone that I pay huge attention to. So I really didn't have a lot of speculation when I, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time speculating about Nightcrawler when I, when I looked at this <laughs> image. Um, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's a really interesting angle and it would be absolutely perfect for, for the character. Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that I immediately gravitated towards, and this is gonna be just hugely shocking to you, um, is definitely going to be Monet and Angel. So they are both on here. Half of half of Monet is Penance and half of uh, Angel is Archangel. And of course the other half is their more human form. So I'm thinking we're gonna get some sort of play on uh, mutants with dual natures. Um, obviously we've seen Warren for, for decades now struggle to, to get Archangel in check, but we've never had a, a story where Monet can switch back and forth between Penance uh, and her more human self. So I think sort of diving into her, her psyche, um, now that she has that ability and sort of seeing, um, you know, the parallels to Angel, if there are any parallels to Angel, I don't know. I think that could be really interesting. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. I think Angel is supposed to be the perfect mutant. You know, he looks like a literal god and giving him Archangel as a dual personality really flushes him out. But this image in particular, I'm so excited for. I, I agree with you. It's going to be something about mutants with dual personalities. And why does that even exist in the resurrection healing era where you can back up earlier versions of yourself? I mean, I'm I, we can speculate why they haven't done it, but I'm glad they're tackling it. And I want to see where they go with it. I saw some people online saying that they were going to be in a relationship. It's not what I got from this. At I all. didn't get that at all. I just thought these are two, two characters with obvious, like multiple personalities, and it's going to be tackled in Reign of X. Yeah. And I mean, that's not something that we've ever actually seen with Monet before. Yeah. Um, she's never been able to willfully switch back and forth from, from Penance to her, you know, her M persona. Um, so I, I would, if it, if it was just me speculating, which of course it is, um, I, I would say that she doesn't have some sort of multiple personality issue. I would, I would guess that it's going to be more about how she controls both sides and her helping Warren to do the same, but oh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. And I love it. And you know, M, when we first met her during the Phalanx Covenant, she was quiet. She didn't say anything. And right. in that first arc with Generation X, when they went to Manhattan, she just stared off into Catatonic. the tonic. Yeah. So I, I love that she's had trauma. She's overcome it. She's become very powerful. And maybe she's going to pass on that wisdom to Warren, who probably, yeah. you know, I mean, we know historically he has had to deal with trauma, but, you know, we're, the majority of his life, he's had a very charmed life. So I, I like that fallen angel perspective and him rising up again. 
Right. And just the, the last thing that I'm going to say, because we're, we're getting in the, the minutia <laughs> here. I, I can talk about Monet all day, but can you? Um, both of these characters, you, you mentioned it about Angel earlier that he's you know supposed to look like a literal angel. Both of these are, are beautiful characters. She's been on the cover of Vanity Fair. She's a supermodel. He's gorgeous. I think we're going to get a really interesting tale of two gorgeous people who can turn into monsters. And I'm looking forward to it. What, what, what else do you see here, Dayspring? You know, just really quickly, I mean, Gene and Cyclops, look, I'm happy to see them there. I don't think there's much to the image that we can speculate. It looks like they're leading the X-Men. There's like some shadowy figures behind them. So I think we're just going to see the return of the X-Men and Gene and Cyclops being at the forefront of that. The only thing I have to speculate about that is who the shadowy figures behind them are. And I am going to bet that those that that will wind up being the cast of the long delayed Children of the Atom book. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that right now when we were saying that out loud. Yeah, I agree. I mean, whoever it is, I think the image Gene and Cyclops are being positioned as leaders. Okay, so what else do we have here? Something we've already kind of addressed that I, I, I just want to touch on again because I'm super excited about it is checking in on X-23, Sync, and Darwin. They have been trapped in the, the vault with the children of the vault. God knows how long they've been there. God knows what they've gone through. I'm excited to see that storyline touched on again. It's been over 20 years since we've had Sync really do anything. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I think when that image came out, we were all really excited. I'm really excited. So let's let's bring it. What else are you excited about here, Dayspring? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not excited about. <laughs> Bay and Doug. I can't believe that relationship is going to continue and going to stick around. But, you know, if they want to flesh it out a little bit more and give Doug a, you know, a spouse. I, I've said this before. I love that Doug and Bay have reversed gender roles and... I'm, I'm here for her. I'm willing to see it. I just don't, I don't buy the relationship. I, yeah, I don't, I don't yet. We'll, we'll see if they can sell me on it. I know some other uh, X fans are like super into this idea. I, I'm not sold on it yet, but I'm also not against it. I, I kind of am against it because I just feel like I'm getting to know Doug. And I know he's been back since Necrotia and I loved him when Zeb Wells wrote him, but I just, I don't know. I, th- I feel like he's finally doing something useful and to saddle him with this like subplot. Mm, I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I have an open heart. I have an open heart. I think the only thing, the only potential interesting thing that I could see coming from this is, you know, Doug has already essentially traded Warlock for Krakoa as his new best friend. So how is Krakoa going to respond to Doug trading him for a wife and, like, yeah. is Warlock going to be even more butthurt? Like, I don't know. I think there's there could be some Wait, interesting... Warlock is around? I mean, it's like... Oh, oh God, is he? It, Warpath, Dylan said this in a tweet, which is like, oh, we had 22 chapters of Ten of Swords and Warlock was in them, but didn't say or do anything. And nope. Poor self-friend. Poor self-friend. Um, okay, so what else do we have here? I mean, I'll, I'll just briefly touch, you know, Emma's here. She's got a bob um, and she's serving paperwork with an h on it i mean obviously that's gonna have something to do with the the hellfire trading company bill a bill to kitty for her fashion services right yes something something like that i don't know i don't know what it could what it could serve but i'm sorry to interrupt you i thought it was an invitation because she's giving out giving the right right it's some form of invitation she's i i would assume she's inviting some character into the hellfire 
organization. I don't know. All I'm going to say here is, you know, I said it last week. I don't mind Emma with a bob. That's totally fine. I just want it to be consistent. If she's cut her hair, she's cut her hair. That's fine. But I hate what she's wearing here. I hate it. It's so, it's so basic. This is what, not only does she have the Karen hair, but she has the Karen outfit too. Like, it's just, this is not Emma to me. It is not fabulous it's like a spandex white dress with a blazer over some <laughs> leggings it's just not emma to me it's not fashionable enough she looks a little victoria beckham to me in this which photo. is fine it's fine but it's just it's not i agree with you the only thing i will say about the bob i love the bob and i know you were talking about her hair i'm okay with emma having different hairstyles because maybe she has like a she's a psychic and she's making people see her a certain way but b think of like Paris Hilton and all these other like celebrities who change their hair week after week and just put in extensions and so Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton is the best you can come up with. You can't come up with Moira Rose or something. (laughs) Uh, Moira Rose. Emma Roberts is a really. I actually think Emma Roberts would be a fantastic Emma Frost in an MCU reboot. But oh my god, we can't. We don't need to get into that. We don't need um, to get into that. We don't need to get into that. What What else is in this image? Okay, okay. next. I, I'll go. I'll go really quickly because I don't think there's much. We 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 see Shadow King as well, so we're gonna get him back. Maverick is there as well, and I like Maverick. I'm glad we got that ML for him. This he's year. he's chilling with Patch, so I assume there's some some bromance coming up. Bromance coming up, and you know what, Legion, which we haven't seen since Age of X Men, have we? We haven't seen him no. since X Men. Uh, so let's see who else do we have here. We have something going on with Quentin Quire up there by Arcade. Not sure. Looks like he's he's gone through a lot lately, so we'll see what else he can go through. Um, behind Warren, we have Tarn the Uncaring, the great genomic mage from that one issue of Hellions that I savaged uh, last week. Guess he'll be coming back into play. Mad Jim Jaspers is here. Yeah. Um, we have Storm. Storm is a, a focus of the issue. She's she's holding some sort of black diamond. Uh, I didn't know what that was. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but you know, I'm always down for some more Storm. And I love um, the X Men red look for her. I love it. Same, same. Great. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that about covers it. You know, there's some ex- some really exciting things here. You know, I think you're right to be most excited about Nightcrawler. I I, I hadn't considered that. Um, and really, like, bring on bring on more Monet. That's all I I, can I, I don't disagree with that at all. That is all we had for news today. We have a very special segment coming up next. If y'all will remember about a month or so back in our our last round of trivia where I completely, uh, well, I didn't completely whoop up on Dayspring. I, I beat him by one. Are you flipping me off? Do you no, have a bear? Yeah, what? do you have a bear in the cave? Why are you lying to our listeners that I'm flipping you off right now? No, no. You're just picking your nose with your middle <laughs> finger. It's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, but no, so I, 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 barely whooped up i you know i slightly whooped on him uh won the trivia and my, your reward for losing was to read the my classic Catherine <laughs> Eminen and sarah pichelli pixie strikes back which i'm holding here this beautiful triggering cover for you okay okay you know it was not a reward um uh, more of a punishment but you know what? I, I'm going to discuss my feelings. Unlike you, when I gave you X-Men Red, I'm going to be so objective talking about this horrible, 
awful series that took me a million times to read because I kept falling asleep every time I started reading it on the Marvel Unlimited app. Okay, so I'm just gonna dive into Pixie Strikes Back by Catherine Immonen and art by Sarah Pichelli. So this is just gonna be a really quick recap. Okay, so the series follows Pixie, X-23, Mercury, Armor, and Blindfold as they are trapped in an alternate reality by the demon Saturnine, no relation to our favorite otherworldly goddess. And the girls all believe they are normal high school students complete with those same high school problems like prom drama. Meanwhile, in the real world, a woman who looks exactly like Pixie arrives on the mutant island of Utopia, claiming to be her mom, Shocker, and wants to see her daughter. Eventually, Pixie breaks free from Saturnine's control, and thanks to the help of Blindfold, Anol, Rockslide, Nightcrawler, and Emma, plus a few other X-Men, they're able to defeat the demon. Pixie's mom enlists the help of the bickering Weingard sisters, and turns out Pixie is their sister and the youngest daughter of the OG mastermind, Jason Weingard. And the series concludes with a tender moment between Pixie and her mom and her mom telling her it's time to go home. And Pixie's like, okay, I'm going to say goodbye. And she turns around and her mom's gone, elucidating the fact that Pixie's real home is with our favorite band of Merry Mutants. Oh. Okay, okay. This series was terrible. Like, I don't know why you did this to me. I am appalled that you gave me four issues to read, but look, I'm gonna be objective about it. I enjoyed Pixie's 2009, 2010 boom. I think when Fraction put her with Northstar and Dazzler, though that, that was a little bit on the nose <laughs> for like the LGBT fandom, but whatever, I liked it. I like her, I like Pixie. Pixie to me was supposed to be the spiritual successor of Kitty Pride and Jubilee. You know, the young new X-Man who needs to survive the experience of being an X-Man. I'm here for it. But we're supposed to see like the wonders of being an X-Man through their eyes. And this just didn't do it for me. I, I think, I, look, I, I could be wrong because I'm not a diehard Pixie fan. I think this was a nail in, in her coffin and why she never got the spotlight or the you know, the standing in X canon that she deserves. I don't think she's particularly rendered well here. And, and by the way, it is a great origin story. I'd love her being one of Mastermind's children. I thought the chemistry between the sisters was wonderful. But for these one-offs, I, I think if you're going to try to push the character to a mainstream audience, you really need to fall in love with the character. And I think just putting her in an alternate reality as a high school student was just a disservice to who the real Pixie actually is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with you because I don't have a whole lot of super strong feels. I love this, obviously. I recommended it. I think it's fun. I think it's beautiful. I think it's just silly. You know, I think it, it's one of those silly stories that the X-Men need to tell every now and then. Um, they can get, and, and they I don't get so serious. That. And I don't disagree with the X-Men having to tell silly stories every so often, but... I think the stakes were high for Pixie in this because she was very popular at the time. People responded very well to her. And I think this series did nothing for her. And I think it was a largely inconsequential series. And look, I like Sarah Pichelli. I thought her art in Guardians of the Galaxy was beautiful. Like Angela, that is- I Yeah, that Angela introduction that is one of the greatest splashes. Holy 
fuck. I mean, that art, like she's one of my favorite, I would say like top five favorite artists of the last decade. I thought the art was hideous here. You're crazy. Although, although I'm going to give it to you because you said you love Emma's design. It's one of your favorites. Yes. I agree. I think Emma does translate really well and I love her blue lipstick. But here's the thing that I feel really passionate about. I don't know how any Emma fan could like her rendering here. I think Emma is so misrepresented here. I hated the scene that introduced her where she is looking out onto Utopia and she's like, it's not New York. And that just seems like what a rich, superficial character stereotype would say. And at this point in 2010, where Emma was still, you know, quote, fresh for the writers to play with, it just seems beneath Emma's characterization. And after all the work she did in Dark X-Men to get Utopia established, I just think it's such a flat way of looking at Emma and making her incredibly superficial, which robs her of the complexities that we love about her and make her such a great character. And, and look, I get it. If she was going to have an introspective moment about the lack of glamour on Utopia, I wish it would have been a better line than, than saying something like it's not New York. And maybe somebody like Norman Osborne offered me something more. I'm like, I hate to play the revisionist here, but it, it's just, I think of that scene with Emma and Magneto in House of X, or maybe it was Powers of Ten, where she goes to Magneto, another island, you should know better. And I feel like that should have been a little bit more her mindset other than her just being like, oh, it's not New York. It just, again, it's a stereotype that I feel like does not service her really well. And I'm sorry, when Anol and Rockslide come in to tell her that Pixie's missing and she replies by saying, I'm not into policing your every move. I don't tell you everything. And frankly, I expect the same courtesy. So unless you have something more concrete, I'm like, you're... Students are coming to you, Emma, to, to tell you one of their own is missing. You live with the X-Men. This is not unusual that an emergency would happen like this, that everyone has their own personal dramas. I just, it, it took away from her being a teacher. It took away from her being that caring Emma we loved. I just, I was not here for it. Okay, well, damn. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Mm. I, yeah, okay, well, Dayspring <laughs> did not enjoy Pixie Strikes Back. Wait, 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 one more, one more. I'm not done then. I thought you were actually going to come at me with, with, with some retorts. Here's the thing. I also am fundamentally upset that Pixie, and I've seen this on other message boards uh, before, when, when talking in favor of Pixie, that Pixie took Emma out with one punch. I was not here for that. I, I just, nope, not here for it. It happens, I think, in the fourth issue after Emma and the team arrive and she goes up to talk to Pixie and she's in her diamond form. She drops her diamond form and then Pixie literally strikes her and knocks Emma unconscious. And look, I get it. She, Emma, dropped her diamond form, but Emma is a powerhouse. She is a psychic and a brute. You know, she... I just, I would have expected a little bit more from her, especially when we saw in Generation X where Emma lost her, her psychic powers because of Psy Wars, she was able to take Banshee down. But Pixie, no, Pixie just clocks her and she's knocked out. I really wish I had prepared for this. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's been weeks. And look, I, I don't know. 
I wouldn't recommend this and I would be ashamed to recommend this to other people, but I'm not you. So it's fine. I would recommend this to other people. Because oh, I know the you would. can be fun. The X-Men can be nonsensical. The X-Men can have art that is whimsical and doesn't always make sense. But I'm not, I'm not arguing on that. I just don't think it was particularly done well. And I think the stakes were high for Pixie in this in this iteration. I, you know what I'm going to say? You're such a big Catherine Eminem fan. You loved that terrible, I'm... terrible oh, Hellcat series. Wait, and you, wait, you're, you're, yeah. no, I'm not a huge fan of hers. I you loved I, that series. But I love Patsy garbage. Buck. And it, it is, I acknowledge it's garbage. And that's why I would never recommend it to anyone. I digress. At least this is prettier to look at. Look, I, look. I'm going to agree. I don't think the art is as terrible as I'm making it out to be. But you know what, Flynn? Oh my God, are you being dramatic and exaggerating? Now it's time for Dayspring to strike back because we're going to play trivia right now. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And if you lose, you're going to have to read one of my recommendations. And let me tell you something. I picked a good one for you. I'm sure you did. And I want you to know, I did this not to troll you, but because I genuinely wanted to know what my best friend's thoughts were on my recommendation that I'm going to give you. To be fair, have we not already discussed just about every possible thing? It's possible that we have, but I want, like, I love hearing your, like, panel by panel, like, analysis of things. I mean, I love hearing myself talk too, so I can't blame you. (laughs) Okay. So with five questions, you know, if you win, you have to give me something to read. If you lose, I have to give you something to read. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So our first question is in the form of a quote. I'm going to ask you who said this. Oh, great. I already lose. Okay. Oh, wait. And let's not forget. You do have, you can ask for a lifeline and I can give you a hint for one of these. Okay. Okay. So our first, our first question in the form of a quote is, for your mother is safe. Your mother is home. It's a world out there that makes you lose your mind. Oh, God. Are you Googling this? No. Uh, okay. I'm seeing your hands. Uh, mother is safe. Your mother is home. It's a world out there that makes you lose your mind. I'm trying to think of mother characters. (laughs) Is it Mystique? Is that your final? That's my final. Eh, Wrong. It's Moira X. Oh, okay. Well, who cares about her? I took the eh, wrong because I think the way you did it was so good before. So (laughs) I stole Eh, eh, wrong. (laughs) All right. So, you know, I got one wrong. I got one wrong. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know what? You weren't too off Mystique and Moira. My next question, let me let me just preface it a little bit. We know a hallmark of Warren Worthington's story is that he's extremely rich. Oh my God, I know what you're going to make me read. Because he inherited from his dead parents, right? Is that the question? No, I'm asking you, right? Like you, that's- he got, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here yeah, for the no, trick no, you, you know that. No, not trick yes, questions. Yes, yes, like, I know that. I know yeah, that. Yeah. So I got that question right. Great. No, no, it's not your, that's not the question. Hey, one right, one, one. Um, so let me ask you, uh, let me ask you the question here. How did his parents die? Uh... <laughs> and, and for the record, because I don't want this, I didn't know how his parents died until I, I read how his parents died recently, like last night. I mean, plane crash. 
you know what it's so funny that you said that because i actually did think it was initially a plane crash but eh, wrong they were killed by agents of the original dazzler who was a that's right who was actually his uncle yeah his uncle oh yeah so that's how wow and i thought you would actually get that one i I mean i did you see me come in at the end with the knowledge before you said anything come on i'll give you half a point for that i'll give you half a point for that because i'm benevolent okay this one this is so generous this is such an easy one. And I was like, sure. eh, I shouldn't do this. But I actually thought that you could possibly like win this. Okay. So Stan Lee makes a cameo in X1. What is his role? Oh, he's a hot dog vendor. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. So Cassandra Nova in Here Comes Tomorrow tells Martha that she could still call her Ernst, which she mentions a painting by Max Ernst that she loves. What is the name of that painting? Are you fucking kidding me? And I asked because after I read this, I became back in like 2003, when I read this, I became obsessed with this painting and this artist. Uh, uh, I, you, I, no, yeah. no, I, the painting, what, the Mona Lisa. Europe after the rain, which is some sure. sad future that never came to pass. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. The last one, the last one. And this is going to be easy. I, I actually think you're going to get this. Oh, so if I get this one, it's a tie. You read the Emma Frost series, right? Of course. Of course. So let me ask you a question. What is the name of the girl who bullies Emma at school in that first arc? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? This is really what you're really like. This is I really, I really wanted you to lose because I want your thoughts on what I want to recommend. I mean, we have Adrian Frost, who is bullying her younger sister. We okay, have Astrid Bloom, who is bullying her lesser psychic. And I said the first arc, who is the girl who bullies her at school? The girl who she fences against. And then at the end, the girl is removed from the school because her parents go bankrupt. God damn it. Oh... I should know this. I should know this. I and, and I forgot her name. I remember the character, but I forgot her name. Okay, are you? Are you? I'm done. I don't know. I'm out. Matilda Brandt. I would have never, ever gotten that. But you know what? I want to tell you. You didn't even ask for a lifeline. I, I mean, didn't because you I don't have, want your help. You have the courage of your convictions. Okay. So what I want you to read is the OG Gambit miniseries. Oh, four issues. Yeah. I mean, who hasn't read that a million times over I know. the last well, I, 26 years? I, I reread that like probably every six months. I okay, love fine. it so much. And I, I want your opinion on it. Sure, sure. I, I, it's been a while since I've read it, but I have read it a, a few times over. It was one of that, that gold foil cover for the first issue is one of the first X-Men memories uh, I have. So I'm, I will be happy to read that for you. In fact... Now that we're done, I can tell you that that I threw this just to I, I threw this whole trivia contest just to, to throw you a bone. <laughs> you me? Oh, you're so kind. I'm so yeah. kind. This was you see, all you see that done. I actually gave you a good book to read and not Pixie Strikes Back. You I mean, you thought I was going to give you Angel Revelations I when did. I was talking. About, you thought that, and I thought maybe 
because I had some other angel related questions I was going to ask back to back. I was like, no, he's going to think I'm going to ask him to read angel revelations, which I think is great, but we can save that for another day. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Fine. 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 I suppose I can read that first Gambit mini for you. Yeah, but I got to reread Pixie Strikes Back first so that I can come prepared <laughs> why it's amazing. No, no, I no. didn't expect you to come in here and savage it, uh, you know, but- No, 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 we're done I should know. This. We're done with I, You know what? You have my permission to do a mini episode without me and you can talk all about how great Pixie Strikes Back is. I will, I will. And then you can talk about- uh, how great the Miles Morales video game you're playing <laughs> all by yourself and I'm refusing to let you cover. Shade. Okay, with that, now that we have been bitchy to each other for about an hour straight, which is what you guys listen to this uh, podcast for, uh, why don't we dive into our recap reviews, which have very little to do with Ten of Swords, so that should make it uh, a little bit more fun. All right, so we are talking about X Factor number five, which is written by Leah Williams with art by David Baldion and colors by Israel Silva. We open to a weeks-old Mojo World livestream of Adam X's hot seat, where the titular Adam X, the extreme, is about to stream the death of Wind Dancer, who is allowing herself to be shot and killed. Now, here we go again, another, another Flinkman X trope. I am a huge fan of the new X-Men class of students, but... For those unfamiliar, Wind Dancer is Sophia Mantega, the one-time leader of the second generation New Mutants under the supervision of Danny Moonstar, who lost her powers of aerokinesis on M-Day and then briefly assumed the identity of Renaissance as part of the Better Best Forgotten team of ex-mutant new warriors led by Jubilee and her Wondra boobs. Now, she was also Hellion's girlfriend. So, Sophia's followers have voted and she is to die. Adam X gives her one last chance to escape before Sophia says, let's give the people what they want and takes a bullet to the head. Back in Krakoa, X-Factor is showing this footage to the five in order to obtain a proof of death, which, yep, it's obvious what happened here, resurrection approved. Except everyone is still a bit wary of the resurrection process after what happened with Rockslide back in X-Factor number four, which was chapter two in the never ending, but thankfully ended crossover, Ten of Swords. So we're finally at our title page, and I actually want to mention a few cool things here. First, the use of the word Volksgeist ahead of the summary, which is a German phrase meaning national spirit or national character, which I think is very fitting given that a lot of this issue is kind of checking in on the well-being of the Krakoan nation as they pick up the pieces. Secondly, the actual title of the issue is presented as a work of classical music, and the name of the piece is After a Summer of Allostatic Overload, which is honestly super shady given that allostatic overload is a cumulative effect of stress that exceeds one's coping skills. So basically we're calling this issue after a summer of I can't even, and that seems about right. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm really getting into the minutia here, but I think Leah Williams is a genius writer and all of that was great. I wanted to call it out. Let's get back to the actual story. It's the next day in the Arbor Magna Hatchery and the five plus prodigy are looking down at someone from a big Krakoan window discussing the big event for the day and their roles in it. Meanwhile, Rachel is continuing to try and mentally probe the all new, all different rock slide and still not getting anything definitive out of him. Once again, someone actually remembers Rachel is more than a telepath as North Star asks her to try her chrono skimming powers on him, which she does. And all she gets is the quiet council scene with Polaris saying, I'm sorry over and over before one final, I am sorry from rock slide. And Rachel is telekinetically punted across the room. It turns out she had reached the beginning of his memories and timeline, and so she got spit back out. Turns out Rockslide is basically a newborn. 
The five are once again looking out the window, and we see that it is, in fact, Emma Frost standing alone in the forest outside of the hatchery. Our next scene finally reveals that the big event is a resurrection of Wind Dancer, who emerges from her egg covered in goo to an awaiting Hellion who promptly tells her she looks good in goo. Such a Hellion line. Anyway, we then get a nice scene of Proteus and Hope talking about the concept of Volksgeist and how every time they bring back someone who could fly, their first instinct is to take flight. And we get some cool panels reliving the rebirth of three new X-Men, Wind Dancer, Icarus, and Arrow, before we get a nice, big, new X-Men group hug with Surge, Dust, Tag, Anol, Mercury, Indra, and more. Now, again, I love this class of students, and they experience so much heartbreak and have been so sidelined for the last decade that I find this to be a powerful and much-deserved moment, even if it was super fleeting. Sophia says that she had no other way of escaping Mojo World but to die, and that Spiral, Shatterstar, and Adam X are still trapped there and need to be rescued. Jumping back to the woods where Emma has been watching, we get a great scene with her and Moonstar about how even though they have overcome death and had all former students returned, through Rockslide, Emma feels like she has yet again failed in defending one of her students. Danny tells her it's because of her heart. Emma puts herself in this situation again and again because she refuses to harden when she suffers loss. Instead, she keeps trying and keeps getting hurt all because she cares. Considering the tension these two have always had, especially in the early days of New X-Men, where this specific team of students was formed, I thought this scene was amazing. Love to see it. Want to see more of it. Anytime we can reference that, that you know, early New X-Men stuff, I'm all about it. Anyways, jumping ahead, and we're still seeding something between Aurora and Dakin as X-Factor realizes they're basically chaperoning a prom, and we get a fun scene involving... Mercury and Bling getting their makeout on and are introduced to a new mutant whose power involves acousticinesis, meaning he gets a different power based off the music he's listening to, to which Rachel says, I'm texting Dazzler. She's going to love this kid. So yes, Rachel. Yes, please do text Dazzler so she can actually turn up to something for a change. I'd love to see her. Jumping ahead to North Star and Aurora at the Boneyard, we're reminded that these two have not been able to use their shared power set together for a while, but now that Aurora is in a new body... Any trouble should have been cleared up. So they hold hands and create a beautiful Aurora Borealis, which everyone in Krakoa is admiring before a terrifying shriek rings out. And we discover Teresa Wart Cassidy, AKA Siren has fallen to her death an obvious murder since Siren can fly. And that is where we end the issue. Wow. I had a lot to say about that day spring. Please take over. I loved it. I, I really did love this issue. I too love that class of new mutants. I love Danny guiding them. I thought it was such a beautiful moment between Emma and Danny. It was so rewarding to see. I'm, I, I was here for it. My only grievance with this issue was that Sophia died in Mojo World. And there seems to be no consequences for that, which is more than fine. I don't, I, you know, the idea of dying elsewhere and being resurrected and the, the backups being corrupted seemed a little far-fetched for me, but fine, that's otherworldly magic. I, I don't understand, though, if she died without being within range of Cerebro, how does she have all her memories of what happened in Mojo World? Because presumably her last backup would have been before she entered Mojo World. So how does she remember Adam X killing her, uh, Spiral, and everything that happened? That's my only grievance. I would assume because it was televised that there's 
you know, footage sure. of it existing. So somebody, a telepath who watched it could download those. those right. No. And, and look, there's, of course, there's a way to, you'll see in Hellions, of course, I have a grievance with the continuity issue. It's fine. We can always explain these things away. However, I'm trying to like, just understand the rules of this world. And I don't think editorially people are on the same page with these rules. I think there are a lot of rules. In fairness, there are a lot of rules. These are the early days. How do we follow along with it? And Leah Williams, to me, is a star writer. I Not only do I want her on X Factor, I want her to be writing like X-Men, like the flagship books. I Ever since her Emma Frost X-Men Black issue, I just thought it was so wonderful. So yeah, I love her. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that this uh, in particular was really well done. Like, I know that there are some issues uh, book to book about what the rules for, for resurrection are. Um, but I would assume, you know, a book like X Factor, which is centered around the idea of resurrection, um, we we'll get what what we what it says here is probably um, more defined than than elsewhere, since that is this whole this book's yeah. whole purpose. And and you know, I I feel like X Factor should really be the the final say when it comes to resurrection protocols and what's yeah. going on. I, I want to trust them. I don't want to be thinking like, oh, what does this mean? Everything. I wish they would have addressed Mojo World and, you know, how they were able to back her up and how they were able to have her memories just so it's clear for the reader. Again, that's me nitpicking because I think Leah Williams is phenomenal. I love that we were seeing more uh, of Rachel's powers that have been historically defining for her and that people just forget exists. I thought the line about mutants who fly, the second they come back, their instinct is to rise above. I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And what I really, like, look, what I really love about this issue, fans of the new X-Men class of students have been deprived of meaningful stories with these kids for so, so long. And the only one of those kids who's actually a member of this cast is Prodigy. And yet she took the time to, to give us beautiful panels of, uh, of three flyers from, from that run. She followed up on the Emma and Danny relationship, which hasn't been followed up on since Emma fired Danny and Danny stormed out after M day. I, I remember that scene. I thought it was, it. I likened it to Magneto in X3 telling Mystique after she got hit for the cure, after she took literally a yeah. bullet for Magneto, Magneto being like, you're not one of us anymore, darling. Yep. And it's like, this is why you fight for mutant rights because of what just happened to Raven. And in this case, what happened to Danny? Like, why are you going to turn your back on your people like that? So right. I that was not a great Emma moment for sure. Yeah. And it was nice to sort of see it, it. It was fixed here. It's been 15 years since that happened. Leah Williams clearly remembers. And like out of nowhere, Emma and Danny, neither of those, neither of them are members of this cast. And no. yet we get a whole page resolving a 15 year old plot thread left dangling. And that the fact that she could not only touch on that, but make it work within the context of this story that has essentially nothing to do with that story is, is great. I loved it. I thought this issue was fantastic. Of course, um, a lot of that is helped by the beautiful art by David Balion. Um, I, I love it. I love his uh, Rachel. I love his Polaris. It's just, I, this after Ten of Swords, this was 
a nice, refreshing, character-driven issue featuring a lot of characters I really like. So I I really enjoyed this. Yeah, and as you know, I've been on the fence about X Factor, not, not because of Leah Williams or her writing, but just the purpose of the book and what it should be doing is positioning within the other X books. And I... I'm sold on this issue. This this issue made me very happy. So onwards yeah. to the, with them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm always sad to see a character I love, like Siren, die. But uh, knowing that she's on Krakoa and knowing that the resurrection protocols are up and running for people that didn't die uh, off world, I'm not too. I'm not too upset. She'll be back. She'll be back. And maybe, maybe her death will give Banshee something to do. <gasps> You mean Banshee will actually have dialogue? How wonderful. I mean, what a concept. He's how many years has he been back now? And he really he hasn't said shit. Yeah. Well, he died during fuck, what was the name of that? Uh Deadly Genesis. Deadly Genesis. There we go. Yeah, he died during Deadly Genesis, and then they brought him back during Remender's run. Or wait, he came back during Necrotia, and then he was in Remender's run, and now we've seen him fixed, you know in the background of house of X. So it's been a long time. Like give this man something to do. And don't forget. We also got him back during that. Uh, what was that event? It wasn't oh, even an X-Men oh, oh, event. Chaos Wars. Chaos Wars. Yes. Yes. Right, yes. 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 Moira and the cuckoos. Yes. We've gotten, it's just insane. Moira. How was Moira there? Yeah. And Thunderbird. Yeah. No, you're right. That's a, that's a conversation for another day, but yes. Love this issue. Hate to see Siren die. Maybe it'll give her and her father something to do, but that is, it looks like she's going to be on the cover to the next issue. So, you know, stay tuned. We'll see. We'll see. And obviously Siren has a long history with X Factor. So yeah, definitely. I'm here for it. Our next issue is Hellions number seven. The writer is Zeb Wells and it's art by Steven Segovia. We open with Sinister crying to the quiet council that his Hellions are dead, which he claims they perished after fighting fighting valiantly to stop the Ten of Swords tournament. Sinister claims they were betrayed because the evil mutants of Araka were tipped off and gasped. It could have been Apocalypse. So council members Storm, Nightcrawler, Jean, Exodus, mm-hmm. Mystique, Kitty, and Emma are just not having it. They're, they're not buying these this performance by Sinister. He goes on to say that Empath... Great Crow, Havoc, and Psylocke died of their wounds on Krakoa, and that Nanny, Orphan Maker, and Wild Child died in Arako. But don't fret, because uh, they died in Arako, not Otherworld, so they can be resurrected. So then back at the hatchery, we find out that Orphan Maker, and as well as Nanny and Wild Child, their husks grew back really quick, but they had to halt Orphan Maker because his powers could literally crack the world in half. Xavier tells the five to stand back as he uploads personalities to Wild Child and Nanny. And then we get a data page saying that the resurrections have enhanced their personalities. Nanny is more Nanny, Wild Child is more Wild Child. And it says, I know that doesn't make sense on paper, but it does. That literally is verbatim what they say in the data page. Meanwhile, at the White Palace, Emma and Alex have a heart-to-heart where Alex says he doesn't feel he needs to be on the Hellions. But Emma says, no, trust me, he's where he needs to be and it's for everyone's safety. Hmm. At Bar Sinister, Empath and Great Crow are questioning Sinister's report and Psylocke says it's not their job to question it. Meanwhile, we see that Wild Child and Nanny are resurrected and better than ever. 
Sinister tells them that in order to bring back Orphan Maker, they need a new suit for him. And it's Nanny's ship that holds the materials for his suit, but it's been confiscated by the Rite earlier in the year. So they need to go break into the Rite stronghold and get it. Havoc walks in and is like, how did you get us killed, Sinister? And Mutiny is about to break loose when Psylocke interjects and tells them to get into the jet. Turns out Psylocke's daughter is under Sinister's care. Her mind downloaded to Apoth, which is now Sinister's, and he's found her daughter's genetic code. And as long as Sinister's in power, her daughter is safe. So on the Sonic Sinister flying over Arizona, the Hellions are planning their break-in as Clive, the Siri-esque voice of the Sonic Sinister, rants in the background. We get a deeper look at post-resurrection Wildchild, who says he feels fire in his blood and wants to start a pack with a she-wolf. But, you know, he feels more civil to me. doesn't seem that barbaric. Uh, Havoc questions Psylocke for defending Sinister, but she interrupts him, telling him to get into the emergency pod because she is crashing the Sonic Sinister into the Rice facility where they're greeted by a bunch of smiley drones, you know, the ones from Second Coming, and Nanny and Wildchild are the first ones to charge into battle and destroy them. I guess this is supposed to show how aggressive they are now versus before, and I don't, I don't know. Wildchild, for me, was always the most savage and primal of the, of the group. But anyways, the issue ends uh, with us finding out who the mastermind behind stealing Nanny's ship was, and it is Cameron Hodge. So, Flink, your thoughts on this issue? Oh, Lord. Um, I kind of hated it, to be perfectly honest with you. It's, hate is a strong word. Hate is a strong word. I, what I really hate is feeling like I don't know the stakes and that I don't know what's happening. And this issue made me feel... Like I was totally clueless about what the stakes for the entire Ten of Swords tournament was because I was under the impression that if they traveled through the gate and they were off Krakoa, they would be scrambled and lost to everyone forever. And yet here we have not only are Wild Child and Nanny able to be revived, they're able to be revived bigger, better, stronger, more badass than they were before. So that's certainly not a punishment for dying off Krakoa. But also, we don't see it here, but it's alluded to the fact that they're trying to resurrect Gorgon, who we know died in Otherworld proper. He was in Otherworld. And it just seems, especially after X Factor, where everybody was just, you know, it was just set up that the five were were hesitant to resurrect anybody. But here they're saying, we're going to give it a shot with Gorgon and, and see what happens. After an issue of... Of, of heartfelt analysis from the five and Rachel and everybody about, you know, what to do with Rockslide, what happened with Rockslide, how to be careful going forward. It just pisses me off that immediately here we are in the Hellions going against what that says, resurrecting Gorgon who died in the other world and having Nanny and, and Wild Child be, be just totally fine, if not improved. Uh, it makes me feel like I had no idea what was going on in Ten of Swords. It makes me feel like the stakes were bullshit. And it makes me feel kind of dumb because I didn't catch that Nanny and Wildchild died in Araco, not Otherworld. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I wish that would have been delineated to us before, you know, they went into Araco and Otherworld and those stakes would have been explained to us. And look, Otherworld, I can buy it. It's this ethereal dimension where a whole lot of like wacky stuff happens. So they'll, they'll come back scrambled 
fine. I get it. You need to have that stake in the tournament. But Araco, what is the point? They're mutants on Araco. Why does them dying make them come back in our world stronger? It just, it's, it's patronizing the reader in a way that I don't appreciate. And again, fine, fine. They died in Araco. There is a distinction. Okay, great. I just wish that would have been said at one point during, it's kind of like what we talked about with the X-Men being no more. I just wish that stuff would have been explained early right. on after the fact. It feels like editorially they needed an excuse to bring them back without losing them because Hellions is the suicide squad of the X-Books right now. And there's a lot of potential for these characters. And I just feel like they want to have this cast intact for whatever reason. And they needed just a Band-Aid for the plot. And right, right. And well, I mean, I guess I can sort of understand um why they came back stronger and and better just because we have been told that you know Araco mutants amenthian mutants whatever we've been told that they are all a little bit more powerful a little bit more you know no that's crazy. great that's great but what i'm trying to say is that that's great i understand who the Araco mutants are but how does that translate into dying there and then being resurrected, a Krakoa mutant dying in Araco, being resurrected in, in Earth, and then coming back stronger? There's no magic at play here. They're, they're, in theory, there's no reason why it should. So if they died in Araco, does that mean they're Arakoan instead of Krakoan now? That's, I, yeah, that's a really good question. Do they Are they Iraqi now that they're back? Because they are different. I want the answer to that question. I think that is a very legit question. So, and the other thing that, look, okay, so when they came through the gates and Sinister killed them, here's the thing. We saw in House of X, one of the first things we saw were Sage and Doug in the in the control room or in a Krakoan control room. And we get the announcement of who's coming in. And presumably, they're psychics who are keeping things intact and checked. There are no security cameras on Krakoa to see that Sinister unleashed a black gas that killed them. Even a basic autopsy would put the time of death a lot earlier than what Sinister was claiming. I, I get it. They, suc they succumbed to the wounds, but he killed them right then and there. And it just, it makes the council look stupid. It makes Krakoa look stupid. I just don't think... I couldn't just go up to someone right now, stab them and say, oh, they came to a wound from somewhere else without legit investigation. And I know that's kind of in the backdrop that Sinister's report is being verified, but I don't know. I just, again, I think it makes everyone on the council look very stupid. And I don't appreciate how Emma is like, I want to see this crocodile's tears. And it's like, I think he legitimately pulled a fast one on you guys and you, you missed the point. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you make, you bring up an excellent point. It's like, I'm a big star Wars fan. I love star Wars, but anytime I'm watching star Wars and our heroes are getting away with all manner of bullshit on these Imperial ships. I'm like, where the fuck are the CCTV cameras? Like yeah. why is there not surveillance anywhere and it looks like there's not surveillance anywhere on Krakoa either like it I, might as well be the freaking Death Star especially the gates the, the, the gates that people are they want to close and all that stuff like I'm just I'm shocked by that I, I again it not even like cameras but like that the psychics can't pick up that oh they were in distress that that Psylocke you literally shouted out sinister before she died yep. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, and there was black smoke. Again, just a basic autopsy would have revealed they did not succumb to wounds. They were murdered on Krakoa by Sinister. It's just a very basic investigation. So, you know, that's, I didn't enjoy it as much. I like Subwell so much. I really do. What is he doing? He is ruining his legacy with us. I know, like first Maddie, now this, I don't, and look, and by the way here, Big, big editorial mistake. Gene is at the council meeting. And look, again, we can name, I talked about this on our Instagram with the with the X community. We, we just talked about it right now. There's a way that you can wave your hand and there's of course an excuse for her to be there. She's passing on the torch. They still need someone in that seat. But no, that was a big plot point last week that she- Huge. Huge. And now she's just back there with no explanation. It just, it looks like an editorial mistake. It does look like an editorial mistake. Regardless of, for whatever reason, why we can come up with why she's there, it just, I don't think they should have shown Jean. She's gone. You know, you you can have an issue where she's still in the council and she's passing on like the responsibilities to M or- (laughs) Yes, please. Or or who, who, someone else said Polaris. Um, We got a lot of interesting people saying different X characters, but- you, you needed to give that story some respect. And it was powerful that Jean walked away and now she's just there again. No. So I, I, I'm not happy with this issue. Yeah, no, I totally, totally. But one, one thing about who could replace Jean on the quiet council real quick, you said, you said, you mentioned Lorna. I, I just want to say that I don't think it's going to be Lorna considering she just passed on leadership over in X factor. I don't think Lorna wants that responsibility. Just a fleeting thought that I had. No, 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 no. That's great. And I think also, we it's going to have to be an x-man who's not going to be on active duty yeah you know so that's why i thought i i wouldn't want m not to be on active duty but i don't i i i think m would sit perfectly on the council and that adds to her character same same it elevates her character she's not it 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 elevates her character without having to put her on a monthly cast you know what i mean like she doesn't have to actually do things she's just her character generally would be elevated by that position but um a few thoughts that i have on this issue before uh we move on is number one it references fallen angels which i think is a terrible mistake that was the worst book of of dawn of x it only lasted six issues it's better best forgotten i know that the sinister quanon relationship here carries over from that um, but if you didn't read that series, you would have no clue what's happening here. So I don't think Zev Wells uh, reminded everybody of those plot threads nearly as well as he should have. Um, in fact, I wish we weren't even picking up on those plot threads at all, to be honest with you. But it, it, we, we have to. It's, you know, Quanin having a, a secret baby and, and maintaining that bot all these years is a story that deserves to be told, I guess. Um, Ed. What else? Uh, sinister. I. He's a it, was prob- it was probably just a few weeks ago that we were discussing the evolution of Sinister, and I probably said something that directly contradicts what I'm about to say. Um, I've been watching a lot of the animated series lately for, for obvious reasons. We've mm-hmm. talked to wonder- lots of wonderful people um, from the show, about the show, so I'm, I'm, I'm in that mindset. So I'm getting a little sick of Funny Sinister. I'm getting a little sick of this played for laughs a hundred percent of the time. Sinister watching animated series has made me want scary in the shadows, scheming sinister back a little bit more. I don't disagree with you. I don't, I don't mind the thing of him being a brilliant quirky geneticist, but 
I where's the brilliance? Where's the brilliance? And they're they're hamming it up too much. Too again, much. Again, I and I'm sorry to to sound repetitive, but he's obviously like putting on a show for the council, and and, and I get that they get it, but I mean, it doesn't work. Like the council looks so stupid for following him and repeatedly following repeatedly him and just not questioning it. So, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't dislike, I thought the Cape gag though. I loved it so much. I think it was played out too much. It like, was, it was it, like, you know, I said just last week that it was one of my favorite moments of that entire crossover. And it is, it remains that, and it was, you know, only mentioned maybe two or three times. And then it was just a subtle gag in the background um, for the rest of it. And I thought that that was great, but like, his like emotional attachment to his jet that he named Clive, that he's like personally so upset that Psylocke crashed it. Like, it's just, it's too much. It's, it's too, too much. much. It's too much. Let's get some scary, sinister back. Just, just for a little bit. Remind here. us why he is a threat. Yes. Yes. Because okay. so far all he is, is he's been. Like, in, okay, so he's a quirky scientist with a genetic fetish. Like just give him samples of the mutants, let him collect whatever samples he wants and move on. Like, I really don't see, I don't see why he had to even pull a fast one on the council when he could have just said, Hey, if we're going to go to Araco and there's some new mutants there, I want to try to get some of those genetic samples. I, yeah. But th that to me makes more sense than him like putting together a suicide mission just to get some samples. Like, no, this could benefit mutant science if we find out more. I mean, think about it. If we had an opportunity to collect live samples from our ancestors, from Neanderthals, for example, I think most people would be like, yeah, go for it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it, it can only better our understanding of what it means to be human from a biological perspective. Same with mutants. I just don't see why it has to, it had to be so in the shadows about it. I but agree. Anyways, that's it. I have no other thoughts on this. I one my one final thought, and we've been going for like an hour and a half, which is crazy. Um, my one final thought about this uh, is the scene with Emma and Havoc, and it's just a little note on the art. Emma is back in her classic white queen costume and i found a lot of people on the internet don't care for that but i do i like the idea that that emma wears whatever outfit she suits her fancy that day i don't think emma needs to be tied to one costume and absolutely. i don't think service if she does yeah absolutely i think it's fine everyone is like oh god editorial inconsistency um but no, no, no i think it looks great hickman said this it's mutant fashion yeah, uh, they and Emma again, and I, the artist from Marauders. I'm forgetting his name right now. He said every every issue, I want Emma to have a different look. Yeah, and I agree, she would have a different look, just she like her. she would have the magic celebrity hair, where it's short one week, long the next. I'm I'm fine with Emma's look changing issue to issue. I have more. I, <laughs> she's not an established wig wearer, so <laughs> I have I have less of an issue with her outfits, more of an issue with her hair. I think that's just in artistic inconsistency. But uh, other than that, you know, always happy to see Cameron Hodge. Looking forward to, to seeing what happens there. Yeah. Did not enjoy this issue, but uh, there could be, it, th there's seeds for the future. It's possible that Hellions is not a lost cause. We'll see. Yeah, Zeb Wells is a solid writer. Let's see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. All right. Well, with that, I think we're done. We have some exciting interviews coming up. We'll announce them once we have them in the can. Flink, is there anything else we should tell the fine folks listening at home? 
No, no. You know, I think uh, if you were a fan of our interview with the Leewalds and uh, enjoy 90s X-Men, you will be excited for what we have in store for you. All right. I am the Uncanny Dayspring. And I am the Adjectiveless Flinkman. We'll see you next week. Peace out, guys. Peace out, guys.